BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. First, can you say uh, your first and last name for me and spell it? Lauren Hittner, H-U-E-T-T-N-E-R. I am an emergency room nurse. How far into the pandemic did you find out you were pregnant? Uh, it was July. What goes through your mind when you find that out? <laughs> Basically, my safety and my child's safety, along with you're still thinking about your coworker's safety and your patients. I am Haley Spagnola. As a pediatric hospitalist, I see kids only in the hospital setting. When you know we did get pregnant, it was exciting, but then it's also, how is this gonna affect my work um, and me and my baby? At the end of the day, if I have a sick asthmatic who is positive for COVID or a mom who's having a baby that's positive, you know, I still will take care of them and give them the same care that I will anybody else um, because they deserve that. I kind of had to stop and say, like, remember, you are high risk now. I am Kristen Weinland. I am a ICU nurse. How far along are you now? I'm 39 weeks. Unfortunately, we had some pretty sad pregnant cases come through shortly after I got pregnant that, that really scared me. One um, ended up needing an emergency C-section very early in her pregnancy and definitely wasn't able to see her baby for a long time afterwards um, just because she was so sick and the baby was spent a lot of time in the NICU afterwards. Being in the ICU and the procedures that we do that aerosolize the virus a lot for us in the room, my exposure is a lot higher than some other, um, even just some other nurses. It's really important to remember that pregnant and breastfeeding women are a huge proportion of society um, and that we deserve to have evidence behind the decisions that are made for us. Pregnant healthcare workers on the front lines of COVID-19 are now first in line to make a big decision with limited data. Should they get the COVID-19 vaccine? Getting clear answers is not easy, but doctors say it doesn't have to be this way. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. Brian Polson is on assignment. We are recording on Thursday, January 14th. And with Brian gone, I am joined today by executive producer Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi. And Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, guys. So, Jenna, Sarah, I'm delighted you're here, not only because you've been deeply involved in our coverage of the COVID-19 vaccine, but also because you've been pregnant. And I think it's fitting to have women, um, especially women who have been pregnant, discussing this story. So to help us set the stage, I want to start by talking about what it's like as a pregnant mom, if you can go back and remember that, trying to navigate the, the different medical decisions you have to make. And Jenna, you've 
had the experience of being very pregnant because <laughs> your last pregnancy was with twins. I think I met you when I was very pregnant with twins and I, I, I felt the need to point out, just so you know, there's two in there. That's why I'm that was, so big. <laughs> that was literally the first thing you said to me, like before your name, before anything else, you said, I just want you to know there are two babies in here. Right, right. That's what happens when you're 44 inches around. Uh, you, you go a little nuts. But you know, you talk about the decisions you have to make when you're pregnant. I mean, it's not just medical decisions, especially if you've never been pregnant before. You're worried about every single thing you're eating. You want to you cut out caffeine if you can. You want to make sure you're exercising the right way and making all the right choices. I remember having this moment where I was standing by the live truck and I was worried about the exhaust that was coming out of the car and making sure I stood far enough away from the live truck. You go to this place in your mind where you think, can my body really do this? Can I grow a human being and do it properly? So you're overthinking every decision. And some of the decisions you, you are overthinking, but others are important and medical decisions are part of that. And I think, especially when pregnant women are particularly interested in the COVID-19 vaccine, your story is really important interesting and important because they don't have as much access to information as everybody else does. And they're especially interested. I still, I think about, uh, you know, when you sent this, the, the podcast outline, I immediately kind of brought myself back. My daughter will be eight on Saturday. And, and so I had to think like eight years ago was a long time. And, and there isn't nearly as much information out there um, or there wasn't, I should say, you know, eight years ago. And so I remember coming to the doctor with a laundry list, every single appointment of, should I be doing this? Can I do this? Can I eat this? Can I look at this? Can I move this way? Or what is this pain? Um, and so, I mean, you're, Jenna's right. You're heightened to everything already, um, especially if it's your first and, and sometimes the, the pregnancies that follow the first. So it's, it's definitely um, lots of different concerns from medical to mental to physical. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm navigating these things myself. So I have a, a one and a half year old at home. And right now I'm 24 weeks pregnant with baby girl number two. And I thought this time around, oh, second pregnancy, even though I feel like I kind of blacked out from the, the first <laughs> pregnancy and the, the like the first few weeks of after birth, I was like, I've got this, I've done this before. Uh, but then again, you know, this time around I'm pregnant in a pandemic. So that's thrown a whole new wrench in, in what I knew, what I thought I knew, and, and the decisions going forward. And we know that COVID-19 is dangerous, but we also know it's more dangerous for pregnant women. And pregnant women have kind of been on this roller coaster during this pandemic, right? Because at first COVID-19 was a thing and it was like, we don't know what's going to happen. So I know a lot of women who are pregnant at that point basically locked down. Then we got some data that looked pretty good that said that pregnant moms weren't passing COVID-19 to their babies in utero. So that was really promising. And the CDC said, yeah, you can kind of ease up. But then the CDC came out and said, oh, actually, COVID-19 is more dangerous for pregnancy than we thought because of the increased risks of preterm labor. You know, your immune system is shot already when you're pregnant. So pregnant women are at increased risk for getting more severely ill from COVID-19. And then there's the idea, even if you're asymptomatic and you're positive when you give birth, your baby's born. And then it's like, I don't want to give COVID-19 to my baby. So there are a lot of 
different things that are going on. And it can be scary. But then we learned the COVID-19 vaccine's coming out. And so at that point, that's when I went and talked to my doctor. And I was super naive. I thought this was going to be like my flu shot. And I don't know, did either of you get the flu shot spiel when you were pregnant? I don't remember it. I'm sure if my doctor told me to get it, I would have gotten it. That's I agree with that. I, I had to actually ask my husband. I was like, did I get the flu shot when I was pregnant with my kid? You know, eat both of my kids. And, and he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure because I'm sure my doctor recommended it. So I am, I'm almost positive I got the flu shot. Yeah. So you go in there and they they bring it up with you and they say, yes, absolutely. You should get this. This is safe for pregnancy. This is beneficial for pregnancy. Hey, you know what? We can give it to you right now. Let's just give you the flu shot now. And so I thought, I mean, I knew I wouldn't get the vaccine right away, but I thought I was going to get kind of a clear yes, get this vaccine or no, don't get it. And my doctor started talking about here are the risks, here are the benefits. And I'm kind of a concrete thinker. So I'm going, okay, yeah, just tell me what I should do and I'll do that. You're the expert. I don't know how to weigh the risks and the benefits. Just tell me what to do. And she said, well, I can't because pregnant women weren't included in the COVID-19 vaccine clinical trials. But don't you think, I mean, I think this way that it's a lot of people's reaction to, to that, to the doctor saying that. And, and of course, pregnant women weren't in, in the trials. Why would they be? It sounds risky. And so who would actually sign up to do that? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought. I did when she said pregnant women weren't included in the clinical trials and so we don't have straight answers. I was I was frustrated that I couldn't get clear answers, but I honestly kind of brushed it off. Uh, but then as typically happens, you know, my self-interest in the issue turned into a journalistic interest. So the more medical research I read, the more experts I talked to, the more I realized my initial thoughts about this, my thoughts as a patient, my thoughts as a consumer were based on some assumptions that were actually all wrong. You clearly did a lot of research for the story. There was some really interesting history in there. Where did you even start with all that research? <laughs> so I started with the people who essentially research pregnancy research. So that's Dr. Carly Krupner and Dr. Richard Bagey. So to understand their work, I think first we need to go through kind of the history of this because I wanted to know, you know, women being excluded from clinical trials. It's been happening for a long time. Was it kind of a, it's always been this way? Was there anything that happened? And it was kind of a combination. So certainly for a long time, there have been reluctance. There's been reluctance to include pregnant women in a clinical trial because the idea is, oh, we, we can't possibly experiment on pregnant women. But there's also something that gets brought up a lot when people are talking about their reluctance to include women in clinical trials, and that's the thalidomide tragedy. So thalidomide was a sedative drug that pregnant women used in the 1950s for morning sickness, and it was very effective. Thalidomide had not been tested on pregnant women. It, re it hadn't been tested a, a whole lot at all. There was a really big reliance on animal data. The drug testing standards were not what they are today. And then by the 60s, thalidomide had been linked to some really serious, often life-threatening birth defects. And the babies that survived, I mean, it was often with shortened or missing limbs. It, it, was, a, it was a real tragedy. It was, it was 
thousands of babies. Now, this drug never got approved in the United States. This is a drug that, that came out of Germany, but this is something that was widely known. And a lot of people looked at that and said, see, we can't give pregnant women this unknown substance. But when you talk to the people who research pregnancy research, Dr. Beggy, Dr. Krubener, they say the takeaway from that should be we need to research on pregnant women because there are, there's a lot of data now that shows if thalidomide had had more of that research, a lot of this could have been prevented. And you can't compare, you know, thalidomide to a vaccine because it's a it's, it's a powerful sedative drug. The drugs just work completely differently than vaccines. And like I said, the, the testing standards were so different back then. But it, people still kind of hold on to that example and, and have that fear. So that's why we're bringing it up. So as you go through the, the course of history, the issue is that pregnant women, because of those immune system issues that we talked about a few minutes ago, pregnant women tend to be more susceptible to diseases, to epidemics. So the flu is an example. The flu historically has disproportionately killed pregnant women. But even though the U.S. approved the flu vaccine in 1945, it took decades to get enough research to convince the CDC to recommend and prioritize the flu shot for pregnant women until 1997. And so even though we now have doctors basically begging women to get their flu shot, we went so long without having that kind of like full-throated, yes, go get this, that confidence in that vaccine didn't build. So now you have half of pregnant women who don't get their flu shot, and they often cite uh, concerns about effectiveness and safety for themselves and, and for their baby. I think that was the part of the story that frustrated me the most was looking at the history of pregnant women being excluded from research. You really showed that there was a pattern there of saying, you know, pregnant women seem just too difficult for us to research. It, we'll just put them to the side for now. And we, especially when you show the history of, you know, the flu vaccine, rubella, I thought that was something that I had an emotional reaction to as someone who had been pregnant and knew how important those decisions were. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you look at rubella. Um, so th there were concerns, there were theoretical concerns about vaccines that have basically a, a weakened live version of, of the virus in them, like rubella. And it used to be advised that it, pregnant women, if they had this early exposure to rubella, they would be advised to terminate their pregnancies. And then we eventually get the research and it turns out, oh, a, lo a lot of these women were doing fine. And so it's, it's, it's heartbreaking when you think about women unnecessarily terminating their pregnancies when we, we didn't have the research. You look at Ebola. A lot of people remember the Ebola outbreak. Um, when they were coming up with treatments and vaccines for that, pregnant women were excluded. So people around them are getting really effective vac vaccines and pregnant women are dying, so much so that the researchers now refer to this as women being protected to death. And to be clear, this isn't a matter of, well, we tried to recruit pregnant women, but no one wanted to sign up. This is pregnant women were excluded. They were turned away from these trials. Again, partially because of that fear that, that people hold on to, that this is experimenting on pregnant women. 
Um, and then partially because you brought up a great point, Jenna, women in general, but especially pregnant women, I, I think there's a fear that they're not going to have this like nice, clean clinical trial, right? Because women, it's like, we have pregnancy, we're breastfeeding, we get our periods. Like there are a lot of things that that go on that can make it, um, I think, kind of scary for people in charge who are running these trials. But that's why Dr. Krubner and Dr. Bagey put together guidelines to basically say, here are some ethical ways to include women more often and earlier in this research so that they're not waiting. Often it's decades, you know, for drugs to move from an uncategorized risk in pregnancy to move out of that takes an average of 27 years. And if you're pregnant, you don't have 27 years. You don't even have 27 months. So the the experts that you spoke with and they have their recommendations, how, I mean, have, are they echoing what, you know, the U.S. experts, you know, the national across the board, what are they recommending for pregnant women? Yeah, so they were part of a, a working group called Prevent that put together. In 2018, they published these guidelines for ethically including women in, in medical research. And they're not saying include every pregnant woman in every trial for every drug or vaccine. They're basically saying we can look at the, the composition of of what we're studying ahead of time, and we can look at it in advance and say, oh, this has something that's harmful for pregnant women. Okay, we, we shouldn't include them in that. But you can also look at it and start at a point, instead of starting at a point and saying women are automatically excluded, you start at the point of we can include pregnant women. Let's see if there's a reason here we shouldn't. And then from there, you can thoughtfully include pregnant women who are signing up for this, and then you can vet them, you can closely monitor them, you can have them in a very controlled setting. What happens when you don't do that is you basically shift the experiment from the controlled setting of a clinical trial to the everyday life, because then you have this drug or this vaccine available, and Sometimes women can choose to get it, they can choose not to get it, but then they have other variables that are going on and it's harder to track or you get this data accidentally because some women inadvertently become pregnant during a clinical trial and then you you kind of have this secondhand data and so it's not nearly as controlled and it, it it's harder to to vet the different variables. So they, they laid out these these guidelines in 2018. And these are really respected researchers from all over the country who have devoted their lives to this kind of work. But when the COVID-19 vaccines rolled out, uh, we found out very quickly uh, ahead of them coming out, but it was especially highlighted after that pregnant women were not included in those clinical trials. You know, Amanda, you mentioned that your doctor didn't want to give you a recommendation and the doctors tend to be not issuing recommendations, I mean, or or formal recommendations, do they have any sort of advice or guidelines that they're asking people to follow? If you fit into this category, maybe you should consider it uh, when your time comes, especially some of these people who are healthcare workers and probably need to make the decision now. Yeah. So I I think at first there was, at, at least in the research world, there was a fear that pregnant women would be totally excluded from getting the vaccine 
since they were excluded from clinical trials. And that concerned them because, like we just mentioned, pregnant women are at a, a higher risk for COVID-19. And in my story, I actually focused on pregnant healthcare workers because they're first in line to get the vaccine, but they also have this high exposure to COVID-19. So they're really walking that line there. Uh, interestingly enough, at first, the United Kingdom, when they came out with their recommendations, they basically said pregnant women do not get this. Um, and then later they kind of walked that back and said, do not get this unless you're high risk. Um, but it's hard to unring that bell once you say it, because once that's in someone's mind, it's, it's really hard to undo it. That's the, that's, the, that's the tough thing with not having the research. And that's the reason the UK, the sole reason the UK was saying this was because we don't have the research. Um, we do have animal data now that's, that's looking promising, um, but we still don't have the, the results of, of research in, in actual pregnant human beings. So the U.S., took a different approach. So I spoke with um, Dr. Mark Turrentine. He helped develop the guidelines from ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And these guidelines, uh, the pregnant women that I've spoken to who looked at these guidelines found them to be very helpful. So they don't come out and say, go get this or don't go get this. But what what they do say is pregnant women who decline the vaccine should be supported and pregnant women who want the vaccine should not be excluded from getting this vaccine just because they're pregnant. So at first you see that and you go, okay, that doesn't help me, <laughs> right? You're good. It's, it's your choice. Okay, I don't know how to make this choice. So Dr. Turrentine walked us through kind of the, the spiel that he gives his patients. So, so I'll give you that. So he points out that COVID-19 is dangerous and more dangerous for pregnant women. If you are pregnant and you're 35 or older, overweight, you have a history of other medical problems, you're a smoker, you're in a racial or ethnic group at increased risk for the virus, you're in a community with a high rate of infections, which is a lot of communities right now, you're in contact with people outside your household who don't wear masks, or you're a healthcare worker, then you may be at a high risk of getting COVID-19. And he said, then it probably makes sense to get the vaccine. So no, you know, he stopped short of saying, go get this or don't get this. But all the doctors I've talked to have said this vaccine looks really promising for pregnant women, in part because it's an mRNA vaccine. So it doesn't have a live portion of the virus. What it does is it basically sends a message to your body and it tricks your body into thinking it's already had the infection. So even though we don't have the, the studies, the, a controlled clinical trial on, on pregnant women, we do have that and we do have some information from a handful of women, I'm talking less than a dozen, who were part of the COVID-19 vaccine clinical trials who inadvertently became pregnant, and they haven't reported any problems. Now, that's not a statistically significant number, but, you know, it, it, it helps give you more to inform your decision. So the, the doctors I've spoken to have said some people can, can basically live in a bubble. If, you're, if you and your spouse are working exclusively from home, you know, you're doing grocery pickup instead of going into the grocery store, you're really limiting your contact with the outside world, then you might say, you know what, the, the risk of the unknown with this 
vaccine isn't worth it because I can really, really reduce my risks. But most people can't live in that bubble, right? You got to send your kids to daycare. You've got to go out and and work in person or, you know, do other things in the world where you're surrounded by other people where you don't know what they're doing or where they've been or how they can spread this to you. So for a lot of people who can't mitigate their risks, um, especially if you have, you know, any of those things we just went through from from Dr. Turrentine and you fall into those categories, then he said getting the vaccine might make sense for you. The issue is they're worried, like we talked about a little earlier, in, in pregnant women building confidence in the vaccine. So when you don't hear a, yes, go get this, like you do with the flu shot, even when you hear it with the flu shot, you have half of pregnant women not getting the vaccine because they went so long without hearing, yes, go get this. So even though we're expecting to have more data about pregnancy soon, clinical trials are, are supposed to start Um, including pregnant women, sometime this month. We don't know when we're going to have that research. And the longer we go without that research, the the more concerned that these doctors are that more pregnant women won't get this vaccine and then continue to be at high risk for exposure to COVID-19, even as people around them get vaccinated, because we don't have enough data yet to say the vaccine stops the spread of COVID-19. It stops you from getting sick. We don't know if it stops the spread of COVID-19. And so that's that's a, a lot of a lot of the concern here. But I can tell you I went into this story thinking originally, I'm not getting this vaccine if it hasn't been tested on pregnant women. And as I've talked to doctors, you know, about what we know about the vaccine so far, I'm leaning more toward getting the vaccine now if it's offered to me while I'm still pregnant. And why is that, Amanda? I, just with what we with what we know about it and with what we know about how this vaccine works for myself and again this is a this is a, going to be a personal choice for everyone but for myself when I weigh those risks and benefits that doctors laid out my risk of getting COVID-19 seems higher than the risks of the unknowns with this vaccine um, that is something that is true for me personally. Now, my risk isn't as high as a healthcare worker. You know, they're, they're certainly, they're, they're right up in there. And I, I do eventually want to talk about the decisions the healthcare workers we talked to made because they all kind of arrived at different points here. But, you know, for, for me, that's true. I have to keep sending my kid to daycare. Um, you know, I, my husband and I, we, we still see our parents not often, but every once in a while, and they do their best to quarantine and everything before we see them. But there are still, um, you know, unknowns. There are unexpected ways that you can contract this virus. And through work, I, I can be based out of my home, but I still have to go into the field and talk to people and, and get video. That's just, that's part of my job. You mentioned this risk analysis that you had to do, right? You have to weigh your risk of getting COVID-19 versus the potential side effects or the unknowns of this vaccine. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that the healthcare workers in your story did come to different conclusions about what they wanted to do. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so one uh, healthcare uh, worker we talked to, Lauren Hittner, she's an ER nurse in Southeast Wisconsin. 
and so she is being in the ER around people who are potentially COVID-19 positive, but she says her coworkers have been really good about shielding her from that. And she's in a work situation where that's possible. Not all healthcare workers are in a work situation where that's possible. So between the, the PPE and, you know, her being able to stay away from confirmed COVID-19 positive patients, she feels like it's a good move for her. And she's probably a few weeks ahead of me in her pregnancy. I believe she's due in, um, in the spring here. She uh, felt like, you know what, I can hold off on getting this vaccine until after I give birth and after I'm done breastfeeding. And breastfeeding is another component of this, right? Breastfeeding women get excluded from the, everything we've said about pregnancy is essentially also true for breastfeeding um, in terms of women getting excluded from trials and, and not having that research. So that's kind of where she arrived at. And she went back and forth on this decision a lot. And if she changes her mind, she she has the ability to do that. So it's not like healthcare workers, you get offered this vaccine once and pregnant women, if you decline it, that's it. You're never going to get it. You are still prioritized as a healthcare worker. If Lauren changes her mind uh, in a few weeks and says, you know what, I think I need to get this vaccine, she will still be prioritized to get it. Uh, another person we talked to, Kristen Wineland, an ICU nurse in Madison, we interviewed her when she was 39 weeks pregnant. I was actually very worried going into that interview that she would go into labor <laughs> before we had a chance to talk to her. So this is her second child. And she said at the beginning of the pandemic, she could kind of avoid the COVID-19 positive patients in, in the same way that Lauren described. But then with this latest round and this latest surge, she just hasn't been in a work situation where she's able to do that. And being in the ICU where the virus is basically aerosolized, she said, you know, I'm at an even higher risk of getting COVID-19 than a lot of other nurses. So she said she had a great conversation with her doctor and she arrived at the conclusion, if I can get this vaccine while I'm still pregnant, I'm going to get it. Now she ran out of time. She was not offered the vaccine before she had to quarantine ahead of her due date. Uh, but, you know, she and I were, were texting. She gave, she gave birth to a beautiful baby, brought home child number two, has this adorable video of, of her, you know, her older child meeting her younger child that may or may not have made me cry a little bit. And she got her vaccine, her first dose of the vaccine, one week postpartum. And so she said, I, I feel comfortable getting this vaccine. I feel comfortable, you know, doing that while, while breastfeeding. I felt comfortable doing it while pregnant. And then we talked to uh, Dr. Haley Spagnola. She's a pediatric hospitalist uh, in Pennsylvania. And, and basically, that means she's a pediatrician who works in the hospital setting. And she got the vaccine at 24 weeks pregnant and posted a picture on social media. That's actually how I connected with her. Um, because she said it was important for her that other people see more of a, a normalizing of people making the decision, whatever that decision is. And she said, you know, like Kristen, she couldn't really limit her exposure to COVID-19. She works in a community hospital. She can't just say, oh, no, I'm not going to see the COVID-19 positive patients. But she went through the, the ACOG guidelines that we went through. And 
she arrived at the conclusion, you know what, for me, the benefits of this vaccine really outweigh the the risks of them. I'm at a higher risk for getting COVID-19 and having a, a serious outcome from that. And she feels really strongly that pregnant women need to be included in more research because herself as a medical professional who's having to advise patients and being adjacent to this as, as a pediatrician, she sees firsthand how much information is often lacking for pregnant women, women in general, right? Because medication doses are for men. A lot of a lot of the medical world and medical research kind of revolves around men. And, you know, she really would like to see pregnant women included in this research more. So they all, whether it was by circumstance or by personal choice, I like that we were able to talk to three women who had three different outcomes and three different things happen to them because I, I want other women watching this to know as they're weighing things, as they're feeling uncertainty, um, as they go back and forth between the decision that they're not alone. Healthcare professionals who have a lot of information and are around this all day, they themselves were confused at first looking at this and, and really had to think long and hard about this. So it's it's not abnormal if you're feeling like, I don't know what I should do here. Now, Amanda, you sent me that first draft of your script a couple weeks ago, and we read through it. And like you just said, these healthcare workers are in it every day. They are getting the research, and they're having kind of a hard time maybe going, how do I process this? Um, you had to take this story, all this information, the history, vaccine versus <laughs> drugs versus, you know, COVID versus other pregnancies. Um, you know, did you kind of find that it was difficult to put it all together, to do it in a conversational way? What kind of difficulties did you have with that? Yeah, this gave me a new appreciation for health reporters who do this every day. Um, I, uh, I do not. I dabble in the health reporting world. This was, and Sarah, you know this, this was the most difficult script I've ever had to write. Because for each line of the story that appears on TV, there's like a whole day of, of research behind that. So going through medical articles, trying to make sure I understand it, trying to make sure that in simplifying it for people, I'm not oversimplifying. You want to include nuance and context because that's what we do as investigative reporters, but you can't get too buried in the weeds and you can't oversimplify something. You can't make it more difficult to understand. I didn't want pregnant women to watch this and leave more confused than when they started. I wanted them to have feel like they had some kind of direction they could go and some kind of guidance. Obviously, the most important place you can go is your doctor. But to have, to hear these experiences, I wanted there to be some clarity. So yeah, writing this was really hard. Um, even deciding what images you use where, right? So the thalidomide example is really important because it's a hang-up a lot of people have in incur in uh, you know including pregnant women in clinical trials or thinking about whether pregnant women should be included early on in research. But at the same time, I don't want people to look at what happened with thalidomide and think, oh, that's the same as this vaccine because it's not. So even you know limiting where we show images of that and and how we do that uh, was was complicated because I wanted people to know hey, these things are different, but I also need to talk about th this thing that people bring up in, in common reference to why they're 
they're scared to include pregnant women in all this. Well, Amanda, once again, you did a really good job of taking your real life experiences and translating (laughs) them into information that's helpful to a lot of people. When you were looking for daycares, we got a story about daycares that was really useful. When you're you're (laughs) pregnant, we get good stories about pregnancy. So thanks for for these relatable pieces. I think any woman who has been pregnant would have found that story to be really interesting. And if they haven't seen it yet, they should watch it because it's really compelling stuff. Well, thank you. I, I hope that it was helpful. I hope that uh, people walk away from it with with maybe a, a new or, or different understanding of what's going on. And I do want to say for the record, there are like pregnant women do sign up for this kind of research when they have the opportunity. That was one of the questions I asked the doctors was, OK, how do you get pregnant women to sign up for this? And they said, actually, that that hasn't been a problem when we've made it an option because Different people have different motivations, right? So for some pregnant women, this trial might be the only way they have to access a, a drug or vaccine that they really need. You know, um, I mean, my gosh, imagine if you're pregnant and you have a, a severe mental health issue and you can't take your medication because you're pregnant. And then you have this trial where it's like, hey, you could you could try this and you are under the supervision of medical professionals and you're in this kind of controlled setting so there are there are women who sign up for this that doesn't mean every woman should or it doesn't mean that every drug or or vaccine you know should include this process but i hope that people come away from this with the idea that maybe if we approach this from a different standpoint we can have different medical outcomes for women. So the doctors I talked to say the COVID-19 vaccine is a good starting point. They're really happy that pregnant women aren't excluded from getting it. They're happy that this is part of the conversation right now. And they're hoping that they can use that to really make some changes in the research world so that we can make sure we're appropriately serving women and pregnant women. We are going to continue bringing you these twice weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic, the vaccine, reckless driving, police community relations, and so much more. So if there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Jenna, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me this morning and for having this nice uh, pregnant women chat. It's nice (laughs) to see your faces and to to not feel so alone in this. You know, one thing you can always count on is women willing to talk about their pregnancies. (laughs) Do we like talking about that? We even want to complain about it years later. That's right. If not to commiserate. (laughs) That's right. I do. uh, I am always conscious, Jenna, whenever I am... uh, complaining about a pregnancy symptom that you had two babies in there so thank you i that helps get i'll I'll take this opportunity to remind everyone that i delivered 13 pounds worth of babies at once (laughs) (laughs) there were two in there amanda remember there were two in there there were two in there that's uh, i'll just keep repeating that to myself whenever i have an ache or pain it's like jenna had two in there And as always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and again, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't done that already, you can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Tuesday.